Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. Each week, Andy shares interviews with talent development professionals, thought leaders, and experts to share best practices, learn about the latest trends, and find out what has been successful in the world of talent development. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I'm your host, Andy Storch, and this is a show that is dedicated to helping all of you out there in the talent development world, whether you work in learning and development, organizational development, leadership development, training and development. If you are developing people in an organization or even on your own as a consultant, we are here to support you in your career, in your business, and to help you make your people better, which of course is the mission for many of us in the talent development world. And I've got a great conversation for you today to really help open your eyes to a topic that maybe you haven't thought about that much, and that is about elevating more black women into executive roles in companies. And maybe depending on your own identification or background, this is something you've thought about a lot, or maybe it's something that you feel like you're aware of, but really you haven't dug that much into. I can promise you that this is a great discussion and worth a listen for just about anybody. My guest today is my friend, Michelle Roberthan. Michelle is a certified professional in talent development with a background that includes training delivery, performance improvement, managing learning programs, and interpersonal and business skills. She has taught over 500 corporate courses with her evaluations consistently rating above average. Her dynamic teaching style has become a favorite amongst learners. Michelle holds a master's in education with a specialization in training and performance improvement. And in May of this year, she successfully defended her dissertation and earned her Doctor of Education in Learning and Organizational Change from Baylor University. Currently, Michelle is the Vice President and Director of Talent Development at Home Bank in Lafayette, Louisiana, where she leads talent development strategy and programming for the organization. And though Michelle has a great deal of experience running great training programs, facilitating workshops, we're going to spend most of this interview digging into her dissertation, which was called Getting to the Room Where It Happens, a Transformative Qualitative Collective Case Study of Black Women Holding and Pursuing Senior and Executive Leadership Roles. 
We'll dig into the findings that she has, and I'll ask some questions about what we can do as an organization, as allies, and for Black women that want to move up more into executive roles. Before we get to that, I will ask Michelle some questions about her background and how she got to where she is, and she has quite an inspirational story that I'm excited to share with you. I also want to mention that Michelle is a member of the Talent Development Think Tank community. She has been since nearly the very beginning. She's one of our founding members, and I appreciate always her insights and things that she shares in the community and couldn't wait her to get her on this podcast as well. And I think you're going to appreciate a lot of what she has to share. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Michelle Roberthen about getting to the room where it happens. All right. I'm joined now by Dr. Michelle Roberthen, and we are going to talk today about her dissertation. I'll give you the title in a moment, but Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. Yeah. Excited to have you on. We've known each other for, I don't know, a couple of years now. You've been a member in the Talent Development Think Tank community, always on sharing such great questions and insights and, and experience. And I know recently you got your doctor of education in learning and organizational change and, and defended your dissertation, which was on getting to the room where it happens, a transformative qualitative collection case study, collective case study of Black women holding and pursuing senior and executive leadership roles. And yes. I'm excited to get into this today, but before we do get to the dissertation, maybe you can start by just sharing a little bit of your background, how you got into learning and development and, and what you're doing today. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm a huge fan of the podcast, of all things Andy, of the think tank. It's so awesome. And I tell everybody about it. Seriously. I have the receipts to back it up. Thank you. You're very welcome. So I got into talent development in 2013, really in 2014, but 2013 was the appetizer when I was just kind of soul searching for what in the world is my purpose. I just graduated an undergrad in fall of 2010. I was seeking the thing that would make me happy. You know, the cliche, if you love what you do, you'll never have to work a day in your life. And I was on a true pursuit of that. And so just doing some internal reflections, I started making a list of things I was really good at that I thought I was really good at and things people often praise me for in teaching kept coming up or leading kept coming up. But I knew I didn't want to teach in a K through 12 environment. I knew I wanted to teach adults. I knew I wanted to teach them corporately. I just didn't have the language for adult learning or andragogy or Malcolm Knowles or all of the, I, I didn't know any of that stuff. And so where I got my start really was volunteering as a career development instructor for a local GED program at a community college. And I used that experience to land my first paid talent development role as a corporate trainer. So I was teaching professional development classes Monday through Friday from eight to five at a for-profit company, which was awesome because organizations that didn't have an L&D department outsourced to our organization. So we were their resident trainers. They would either come to our company or we would go there. And I taught a plethora of classes such as diversity, sexual harassment, communication, sales, marketing, you name it. I taught it, got certified as a Microsoft Office specialist, which I still hold that designation for PowerPoint. Um, and I loved it. And then from there, the opportunities just started pouring in to do more talent development beyond facilitation in different environments, such as healthcare and now in banking. So it's it's been a wild ride, but it's been good. 
Yeah. And you, you come at it uh, seriously from the training and facilitation side. And I know you've, you've led over 500 workshops and classes, right. And and taught lots of people. Mm -hmm. What is it about that, that you really love that gets you excited? Being the catalyst for someone understanding something is better than any trophy or some sort of fiscal reward. And I know that sounds cheesy, but it's so true. If someone's coming in uh, in a state of unknown or unknowing, and you're the catalyst that can help connect the dots between them being incompetent or unaware of something to being competent or conscious or aware and the light bulb that, aha, I get it. And more than anything, if they use it and they come back and testify and they tell you a testimony of something you taught them and how they used it, you never forget those kind of stories. And so mm. that's pretty rewarding. I agree. Okay. So uh, speaking of training and education, you are someone who uh, just looking at you from the outside, you've got a master's in education. I know you're certified trainer. You've got several letters after your name on LinkedIn. So what I observe about you is that you seek out education for yourself, formal education, and you're very proud of what you've done, what you've accomplished. You shared a lot of the journey with the PhD. And so I'm curious, or the doctor of education, I'm curious, what does that stem from? Is it something with your parents? Like, what is it about mm. education, seeking it for yourself and also being so proud of yeah. what you've done with it, what you've accomplished? I love this question so much. I, of course, I would credit my parents for so much. Uh, part of my dedications for my dissertation work is to both my mom and dad, who I'm so fortunate to still have with me and for them to have an awesome uh, relationship, even as divorcees, they've been the best of friends since the day of their divorce, That's like rare. in 94. Yeah. That my mom even picked my dad up for court that day and they went to lunch afterwards. It was, <laughs> I love the story. And so uh, I love hanging out with them and my parents are very smart, not formally educated beyond high school, but so smart and so encouraging. And maybe because they've always encouraged my academic pursuits, it gave me the permission to, to think I could be anything I wanted to be. And they never boxed me in, not because of my gender, not because of my race. I have never heard my mom or dad speak a limitation over my life. Mm. And so how I am professionally, you can almost guess what kind of student I was. I'm your typical student council senior class president, prom queen, battalion <laughs> commander in JROTC. Everybody thought I was going to the army. Uh -huh. I was that I was that engrossed. Honor roll. I played the cello. I wow. love learning. It's just exciting. It's it opens up another realm. Uh even if it feels like a fantasy, like I love reading books and I forget that I'm in the reality because I will get into a book and believe I'm in the setting and all of those things. So I, I just love what uh, knowledge can unleash to go from the state of unknown or not knowing to knowing and using that smarts and, the, and stewarding it right has just blessed me so much. So it's like, a, it's a thing. I can't stop learning. I, if I'm on LinkedIn and I see someone with a certification I haven't seen before, I will thoroughly vet that certification to see if it's something I want to pursue. And normally I'll come to the end and go, eh, I don't need that. Right. But if it's something I'm hooked on, I'm a dog with a bone and I'm going to get it. 
Mm, okay. Yeah. So you're not collecting them just to collect letters. No. Right. You do evaluate. Is it something that you actually oh, need? Oh, yeah, I do. But always interested in checking those out. Mm-hmm. Something you said there that I think is really important and, and much credit to your parents. They, they never placed any limitations on mm-hmm. you. So you felt like you could go out and do anything. Yep. I think that's really important for, for people to hear and understand, not only to appreciate if they've been in the same situation, but also recognize maybe if they haven't been, right? Because right. many of us have experienced people putting limitations on us. I wonder right. if you've experienced the other side of that or observed it in other people, because I feel like for you to make that comment means you're very aware of that, which means you've maybe mm-hmm. observed it in other places. Oh yeah, sure. My husband, even he's super duper supportive, but I think sometimes my pursuits scare him mm-hmm. and it's kind of like, you're doing that. And then when you do it, he's like, yeah, you did that, you know, <laughs> because I think it's it's so far fetched. I, I I remember wanting to be Dr. Michelle Kurtz is my mating name, my maiden name. I wanted to be that. I remember that as early as 12. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I got that from. And there's no mm-hmm. doctors in my family. Well, at the time it wasn't. My cousin is a chiropractor and graduated from Life University, I believe, in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the time I didn't. But my parents never made fun of a dream. I've seen some people box themselves in more than I've seen people put limitations on them. Mm. You know, it just seemed far-fetched or it seemed unattainable or unrealistic. And I have never operated from that place. My biggest philosophy is the worst they can tell me is no. How I got my start in talent development, that corporate training center, they did not have a posting for a professional development instructor. I emailed the CEO directly. And he took a meeting with me in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. That's 45 miles from where I live. But I drove Mm. out there and I only wanted an internship. I was in the middle of a master's program in that master's of education. And I said, look, I'm really trying to get some experience and training professionally. And he says, well, what what does that look like? What are you looking for? I said, "Uh, I don't know if I could just glean and learn from your instructors. He says, well, let me think about it. He created an internship program for me, this guy. He didn't know me at all. I was just a student who was going to that corporate training center from my employer. And I saw it one time and I said, this is the thing I've been wanting to do. I've been telling people I want to teach adults corporately, but I didn't know what that looked like. And so he created an internship for me. And on the last day of my internship, he wanted to see me facilitate some of their material and offered me a full-time job on the spot. Mm. I love it. I just, I credit, so I credit my start to Ricky Como because he has always opened the door for me. When I worked there, he gave me my first paid leadership job. He was saying at a company meeting, you know, we're a great company. If you want to grow with us, you can grow with us. It was around Christmas. Top of the year, I sent him an email and said, hey, Ricky, really enjoyed the company meeting. Would love to be in an instructor supervisor role here. I was by far the youngest instructor on the roster. I mean, these folks have been training a lot of technical instructors, like teaching SQL server stuff, some professional development, some application Adobe folks. And he calls me in his office in January of that new year. And he goes, I've been thinking, what could go wrong with Michelle Robertson as a supervisor? And he goes, I couldn't think of a thing. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. And now I run the whole team. And so that guy is near and dear to my heart for sure. Oh my gosh. I'm getting goosebumps. First of all, I think we all need those people that help us out along the way, right? That give us our start, that, that recognize our strengths, that 
give yeah. us open, open doors and find, you know, whether mentors, managers, coaches, yes. friends, uh, I'm very lucky to have those people in my journey as well. But I also want to call out and credit you for taking the initiative and really owning your situation, right? Like figuring yeah. out what you wanted to do. Right. And then, like you said, the worst they can tell you is no, That's right? It. And, you know, miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? Exactly. So to go after it and say, hey, I want this. And, you know, he might say, I don't think you're ready yet. Right. And then you can ask, well, what do I need to do? Exactly. Right? But he said, okay, come on, let's do it. And That's right. It wouldn't happen if you didn't take that chance. And Andy, no letters behind my name then. Mm. I was very insecure. These folks have been training before I was born. These technical instructors, you think I have letters. No, these guys and women have letters. And I was just thinking like, that's so far-fetched. Um, I'll never get them. I didn't have a master's degree, doctorate degree, CPTD, you name it. I was just fresh out of undergrad with a hope and a desire. And I knew my calling was to teach adults. And I had the passion and they didn't teach me how to facilitate. I know how to facilitate. They gave me the content and the audience. And it's so amazing that he saw the potential right away. And every single request I made as an employee for Ricky Como was yes. Mm. Everything. Hey, can we start a professional development committee so that we can look over the content? Yes. Now, it wasn't always, it didn't turn out well because we didn't strategically plan, well, who would be on the committee? He put a bunch of salespeople. I don't want salespeople. They'll sell anything. You know, they're trying to make a quota. They're trying to sell these professional development classes. And I'm going, no, that's not best practice. Right. But I appreciated that it was always a yes. And he recently sent me an email that was just so darn sweet. And so I, I think of like my roots, my beginning. I think of my mom and my dad who are formally unlearned and that keeps me grounded. And so even hearing people say, Dr. Michelle Robertson, it hasn't resonated in a way that I thought it would as soon as it would, because I, it's almost like I don't identify with that just yet. Yeah. But I always think of my mom and my dad and my start at Ricky's company. And it just keeps me so grounded. And it always helps me to reach my hand back and say, who else can I pull up? So I'm, I'm very intentional about that too. Oh, fantastic. All right. Well, this is, a, I think, a good transition okay. to talking about your dissertation, which is again called Getting to the Room Where It Happens, a Transformative Qualitative Collective Case Study of Black Women Holding and Pursuing Senior and Executive Leadership Roles. Maybe you could start by giving us a little bit of background on this. Like, where does this come from? Why did you want yeah. to do your dissertation on this? And let's dig into some of the, the findings. Yeah, absolutely. First thing is I'm interested in serving in a senior or an executive leadership role, and I'm a Black woman. And it was at one company in particular where I worked that was a, a large healthcare system. And on the team that I was on, we often were putting on events for senior and executive leaders, trainings. They were always my audience. I was always around them. And there was this one meeting in particular where every single executive or senior leader had to be present in Baton Rouge for this meeting. And there was a total, 18,000 employees total, maybe 180 senior and executive senior leaders. Mm -hmm. I counted 12 Black people. Hmm. 12 yeah. out of 180 hit me like a wrecking ball. More Black women than men, actually. I only counted two hmm. Black men. Interesting. And that's... Typically not what my research showed, you know, right. across the wider landscape. And, and this I, is in the South too, right? Where correct. I, I would, I don't know the numbers, but I would think black people represent a higher percentage of the population. Yeah, sure. Okay. Absolutely. And so that was a little alarming. And I think around that time we were getting pressure from our uh, school to pick a topic. 
And I thought, oh, I could write about this flawlessly because I, I wholeheartedly desire to be a senior or executive leader. I'm a black woman and I can speak from what I see right now. Why is there so few of them? And what I love about doing um, doctoral research is that nothing can be a gut feeling. Oh, I think there's not a lot of black women. Right. They are not having it. And Baylor University, the Baylor University, a R1 institution, they're not having it. So you have to say, you take your initial gut feeling and your advisor is going to say, so what? Back it up. Go right. find out who else is reporting. You have to have upwards of 70 plus peer review academic resources. So when I talk about my research, especially to my classmates who are predominantly Caucasian, because we've talked about this research for three years now, because you test it out on people. Mm. I always open with, I am telling you, this is not the same old race card and it is not poor me. It is actual factual data. And so there's this report from Lean In. I'm sure you've heard of Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In. Mm -hmm. You got some flack behind that book because uh, what, what I found in my research is a lot of the feminist movement initiatives are centered around white women not women mm. of color. So a lot of the things Cheryl was saying, like go to your leader and you tell them you want to raise. Mm. We don't even know who the leaders are. How, they, mm. They're unattainable. The COO, where's his office? Right. What's his name? Never seen the guy. What if you work in housekeeping? You don't know the chief operating officer on a first name basis to go and say, right. I'm worth more. Mm. So, but here's what I appreciate about Cheryl. She got some flack behind the book. And I don't know if the organization came after. So don't quote me on this, but they started a nonprofit, I believe, called Lean In. Mm -hmm. And I use some of their data in my report. So they produced this, what I think is an annual report, but I haven't seen the 2021 version. It's the state of black women in corporate America. Andy, that report, I like she did well, taking a critique. And having a dedicated 20 plus pages about black women in corporate America. And here's an alarming statistic I want to give you. And I'm going to pause on just talking about kind of the background. 1.4% of black women hold executive roles. 1.4%. Only 1.6 hold senior roles. So right there, that's proof that this deficit isn't just something Michelle Robertson thinks. No, this is factual data that is, lean is that, in. Sorry to interrupt. Is that 1.6% of the population of corporate employees? Like, what are you? Uh, yes. So it is, yes, of corporate employees, 1.6% 1. 1. of that population uh, are Black women in senior and executive leadership okay. roles. And so the rest is largely white men. Mm. White women are in there a little bit. Black yeah. men are in there a little bit. Right. But they did only like two dichot uh, one dichotomy, and it was white men to black women. Mm -hmm. And so where they are upwards of 68, 78% occupying these roles, black women are 1.4 and 1.6. And it's like, man, there's, there's enough for everyone. And this group, this intersectionality of black and woman are at the very bottom of the barrel of holding these positions. Take right. Fortune 500 companies. I write about them too. Present day, only two uh, Fortune 500 CEOs are Black women. Hmm. Two. You know, Walgreens and I'm going to forget the other company. I think it's like, 
it's an acronym T I A or something. I'm going to look in a minute to back that up, but that's, that's even alarming. So I saw this problem in my practical real life. And then I had to research and Andy, I was reading books and reading articles that articulated in such an intelligent way, everything I was experiencing at that employer. And I certainly credited that in my research as well. For over three years now, the Talent Development Hot Seat podcast has been proudly sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage Performance Group provides creative learning and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. Advantage helps leaders lead, sellers sell, and businesses flourish, and you to be more successful at your job. The Advantage website has great free resources, including this podcast and an amazing webinar series that include topics such as innovation, future storming, inclusion, sales, leadership, and so much more. To get access to all of our free resources, as well as overviews of the solutions that Advantage offers, just head on over to AdvantagePerformance.com. That's AdvantagePerformance.com. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's eye-opening. And yeah, I just looked it up. TIAA, CREF, the financial services firm, their CEO is Thasunda Brown yeah. Duckett, yep. who at least from the picture I'm looking at, looks like a black woman. That's and, right, There are not many out mm-hmm. there. I feel like this is something that most people are at least aware of. Obviously, there are a lot of people that may not care, many people mm-hmm. that do. The, the, the next question, of course, is like, are things changing? What can we do about this? You know, yeah. and particularly for Black women like yourself who want to, you know, have that goal of getting to a senior level position. Did you find out, you know, what are some, some best practices and ways to get there? Like, oh, what do we yeah. need to do? Absolutely. Well, you said something that was interesting. You said, I think most people are aware. I don't. Hmm. I don't think they are aware. So the first thing I uh, call to action I make in my dissertation is to become aware. So my call out is to current executives, current senior leaders, and especially human resources professionals who has that demographic data at their fingertips in their organization. Become aware. I want to know in your organization, What gender and races are occupying positions at the highest level? Why does that matter, Michelle? Because they're getting the highest pay. And why does that matter? Because that wealth gap is a domino effect of things. Wealth gap, depending on how much you make, constitutes where you live. Where you live constitutes your property tax. Why does that matter? Because it feeds certain schools. That's why you have F schools in urban areas and other schools that are thriving. And some places have a Whole Foods and natural grocers and resources. And you don't see that all the time in urban areas. They, they're lacking on all sorts of economic development yeah. things. And I know right now, if someone's listening going, how do we get to economic development because it all stems from the wealth gap and how is the wealth gap created because we keep putting people in leadership who think the same and look the same so get aware find out the very specific demographics of who's holding positions at its at your highest level in your organization and then you need to tell yourself a story based on the data what does this mean? Is it mostly men? Are they mostly white? Is it mostly women, but they're white? Where are the black women? Where are the minorities? And there's something too very specific in my dissertation. I don't ever reference people of color because I'm not talking about people of color and I, I'm not being exclusive. I'm mm-hmm. just being specific. Specific. Yeah. I'm only talking about black women because people of color are not created equal in disparities or in challenges. So I didn't want to take on this whole 
region of people, yeah. if you will. It's too broad as well. Right. So um, I, I want people like HR professionals and executives to tell themselves a wise story, but solely based on the data, not what they think. What does the data tell us? And I think any good L&D professional appreciates that because we can pull data about learning initiatives. But what is how are you using the data? What is it telling you? What did you deduce? What are you inferring from that data? But what was interesting uh, that I found from talking to women in those roles, I interviewed six black women with experience in senior and executive leadership roles. And I also uh, implemented a questionnaire for black women in mid-level leadership roles with aspirations for, you know, top positions. And here are some common things that popped up. Uh, There's a lack of mentorship for black women and the network, you know, so you and I were talking before the podcast and you mentioned something too about your network and Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean we're bad people, but you're going to leverage your network. That's who you know. Well, we need to to get to know more people because here's some of the responses I've been receiving when I talk about my research. Well, you know, it's just not a lot of Black women in the talent pool. I don't disagree. Sure, maybe there's not. But I will tell you from experience and from my research, a lot of people who look like me don't apply for certain jobs because they instantly count themselves out or think I've not been invited to apply. I'm not going to get it. I'm just a radical who believes that the worst you can tell me is no. I mean, I, I right. wholeheartedly you're, believe that. You're an that. anomaly for, for I'm telling women. you. Yeah. I went to a school that was 70% white, 30% black, so I could count the black people in student council. But there I was, senior class president. I'm in ROTC, JROTC, an Army program, hundreds of students. And we were a well-known program in my area in Louisiana. And I had my sight set from a sophomore to be battalion commander. I was cadet lieutenant colonel Michelle Kurtz. And you got people who don't look like me asking for permission to go to the restroom. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm just a student. You really need to ask a faculty person for that. But I mean, just the respect. And I just, I got the gall to think that sure I can be in it. And I'm not saying other women do not. So don't misunderstand that. But I don't wait for the invitation. Yeah. But guess what? That's scary, too. I mean, I, yeah. my heart's pounding out of my chest. Sometimes it sucks being the only black person in the room. And normally I'm not aware of it initially. It's not until I get settled in a room that I'm going, oh, wow, I'm the only one in here. And let me tell you the pressure I feel. I feel like and this is this shows up in my research that the weight of the black race rest on me, how I speak, Mm. how I think, what I say. I see it even in a think tank. It's not lost on me that, oh gosh, I got to be super articulate. Oh my goodness. I have to, because I'm always trying to make it better for who comes after me. And that pressure is draining Mm. and drowning. And you're always just trying to represent your culture. And one quote I think of that really stands out like that is uh, Maya Angelou has this quote where she says, I come as one, but I stand as 10,000. I feel that when it's just me in the room. So increasing our networks, increasing mentorship as well. We know that a lot of people are getting promoted based on relationships that they've built. And these are people they've worked with for 20 years and 30 years. I wrote wrote Uh, about the importance of networking and personal brand in my book, right? I know. Yes. The best way to go find opportunity. It really is. But then, and then, you know, that's what that cliche is birthed out of, right, Andy? It's not what you know, it's who you know. And that's, that's right. a bummer sometimes yeah. because it, it is not give me a job just because I'm black. Mm-hmm. It is, I'm sitting in your face 
hiding in plain sight, super duper qualified. Perhaps I don't know this one thing in a job description. Oh, but that's teachable. Who's going to teach me those things or who's intentionally seeking? And I think people who are in positions of power who are not black are going to have to be intentional about building relationships with minorities in their organizations from Mm -hmm. your chefs to your housekeepers. And it has to be more than the executives serving lunch during employee appreciation month. That's not a meaningful relationship that you're giving me some sort of snowball or snow cone or a popsicle saying it's Louisiana and it's hot. Here you go. And by the way, I'm the CEO giving you this popsicle. They don't care. Right. Go to their department. And one is going to be weird at first because they don't know you, but you keep going and shooting the breeze with them and asking them about their work. Dare I say shadow them every now and again, invite them to your office and invite them to focus groups and committees like employee engagement committees and give them a true say so and give them that exposure to work with other people. If you have apprenticeships programs and fellowships, you know, reserve seats for minorities. And I know a lot of people feel a ways about that, but that's true equity. You are giving people who are at a disadvantage, what they need to be equitable with other people. So reserve certain seats in your mentoring program and your apprenticeships and fellowship programs for minorities as well. Be intentional about developing them. And I'd also say really quickly to Black women, be intentional about developing yourself. And especially if someone's listening and you're a Black woman in a senior and executive leadership role, steward that role well. As a Black woman aspiring, we're not asking for a handout. I'm not asking for favoritism, but my goodness, don't make it harder for me because we're both Black women and you think there's not enough room at the table or I just Mm. got my seat. I don't want to be threatened. That came up in the research too, that a lot of opposition came from other Black women who saw another Black woman as a threat or competition. It's like- There's only room for one at the top. And so- And it's it's a true feeling. It's a competition. Yeah, yeah, I just got here or I don't know you well enough. What if you embarrass me? Mm. Because- Not just me, our whole race, right? Our whole race. And we carry that internally. Mm. And so what if you outshine me? What if I'm no longer a factor? We have to get rid of that because Mm. there's so many barriers that shouldn't be one of them, but unfortunately it is. Yeah. That's a hard one. And I'm a big fan of of operating with an abundant mindset. You know, there's a lot of scarcity mindset out there, right? Like if you're successful, it takes something away from me. Right. But certainly there's an added level there, right? Where you feel like, Hey, there might only be room for one or you're representing race. Uh, a question I had, and you, you've touched on some of this, is you know thinking about from an organizational standpoint. If you say, mm-hmm. "Hey, w- we need to change this," do you think that the the bigger problem has been that there is talent there and they're not recognizing and promoting it, or some organizations say would probably say, "Well, we just don't have very many talented Black women in our organization to promote." Like we're trying, right? But they're just not there. Is one bigger problem bigger than the other? And does it all go all the way back to like recruiting and, you know, supporting through education? Or is it more of like, hey, people are there. You just need to have those conversations. Or I would imagine some combination. Oh, that's so good. Maybe a combination of both. Yeah. I think the first part of what you said is bigger than we have them. They're just not good enough, so to speak. I I think you, you brought up a good point with recruitment. I would question initially the recruitment effort. So- a lot of people have an issue with affirmative action because they misunderstand it. Uh, to me, it's it's targeted recruitment, not exclusive recruitment. Mm-hmm. And so you can post a job on Indeed.com and all of these things and LinkedIn. So that's there for everybody. 
Right. However, comma, and you can say it's available to everybody. That's right. right. Everyone yeah. sees it. You put it, you pay for the per clicks that LinkedIn has or whatever yeah. that whole jammy is. Yeah. So it's out there. Just like universities can say, well, anybody can apply to That's Harvard, true. right? Or whatever. Yeah, it is there. Yeah. It's if an organization was truly being intentional, where are qualified Black women? There's organizations like 110.org formed by a coalition of big time CEOs that are trying to get 1 million Black people hired in a family sustaining career in 10 years without a four-year degree. Okay. Do a Google search. There's Black career fairs. There's historically Black colleges and universities. Could you post on their job board? There are Black women coalitions who are in senior and executive roles, could you start a dialogue there and get some yeah. postings? I mean, that's being intentional yeah, to I think say. That, I think that's a, sorry to interrupt. I think that's a big one right there. I mean, I've worked for companies where, you know, they keep going back to the same universities because right. hey, things work well, right? We always right. get great students, you know, grads from this university, but it happens to be a predominantly white, you Correct. know, all white liberal arts college, right? When they right. could say, no, we're going to go to Howard or we're going to go to, uh, you know, to right. A&M or another HBCU. Right. And even though we don't have anybody from there and go recruit there, I'm sure they've got great talent, obviously, but it requires getting yeah. out of your comfort zone a little bit. Can I go speak to their MBA program mm -hmm. and just say, and, and try to create a pipeline for that MBA program at this HBCU to our organization? I mean, to see somebody in a position of power who's a white male or female inviting you personally, I mean, that that is just amazing. And you don't see it coming. You don't even expect it. And so now it's giving you the permission to apply, whereas you would have counted that organization out because psh, they're not going to hire me. And there's a million things to unpack there. Name discrimination is real. I've heard an executive say uh, if they can't pronounce someone's name, they won't even interview them. And, you know, these right. are folks, we don't name ourselves. Some people legally change their names. And right. even one of the ladies I interviewed, she's going by a condensed version of her name mm. because she thinks her government name sounds too urban. And it totally doesn't. Yeah, I think it sounds like an older woman's name, but it didn't mm. sound urban. But yeah. that's the fear. That. Yeah, yeah they real. worry about that. It's and real. especially, and now for this, I'll say people of color, because, you know, these ethnic and urban names can be difficult to pronounce as compared to Western sounding names. Totally. So you got to deal with that. You can't even get an interview. There's uh, black people who have testimonies of when they shorten their name, the calls came, the interviews came, the right. recruiters reached out. So I think there's a lot that needs to be unpacked and investigated on the talent pipeline and recruitment efforts before an organization throws up their hands and say, they're just not in the pool. And before they even start with recruitment, truly look internally. And I'd even look at their job descriptions. And I, I love when I hear senior leaders speak in such a modernized, radical way about job descriptions. And they question things like, why are you requiring a bachelor's degree? You limit your talent pool when the job, especially, and I don't know if you've seen these job descriptions where they say bachelor's degree, but they list very broad topics. Mm -hmm. So you just want any bachelor's degree. So I could have a bachelor's degree in fashion merchandising and get a supervisor job at, yeah. I don't know, a bank. Right. That that's weird. That means you're holding some sort of worth to a bachelor's degree and you're not even sure what. Because a lot of the classes are generic classes and very specific major mm -hmm. classes. So question things that could limit people from applying. So I, I, I want to make sure I'm not just selling that it's just a fear Black women have, because I don't think it's 
I don't even think it's primarily that. Sometimes they feel counted out from just a description of the job description. You're listing certain programs you need to work with. You're listing certain education when you're already going to teach whoever gets the job, all that stuff anyway. So you can say need to be in a senior leadership role for 10 years. And that's one that I I know, I know you're, you're specifically focused on black women, but you mentioned Sheryl Sandberg and lean in earlier. Mm -hmm. That's one where she really, I think, introduced the world to this idea that women in general will not apply for something if they don't feel completely qualified. Whereas she said, men will usually (laughs) say like, well, I'm close enough. And obviously everybody's different. Right. Right. But in general, and I think hiring managers, recruiters can be more aware and say, Hey, we're looking for a type of person who can learn these things. They don't have to have all these requirements. Right. And what can we do to equal the playing field and make it open to more talented people that maybe yeah. don't have quite the experience. You're right. Because, you uh, you know, if you're a recruiter listening to this or a hiring manager, you are drastically limiting your candidacy pool, black, white, male or female. Mm-hmm. And so you're right. That's not specific to black women. And I want people to know how it doubly impacts them. They often don't feel invited to apply for a role like that. And then you pack it on with all sorts of requirements that no one perfect will perfectly meet. No one person will perfectly meet. Right. And you're going to train them anyway. Even if you say things like need to know how to manage vendor relationships, you still have to talk to me about how to manage your vendor relationships Mm -hmm. and how to use your invoice approval system. So it's a moot point that I need to know how to do all those things. So what's trainable? What's not? What do you want someone to come equipped with on day one? So you might say you're looking for a thought leader. That might be a day one thing I need you to have. But systems, know-hows for processes, those things can be trained. Right. Yeah. And there, there's trade-offs there, right? There are some things yeah. I know you want people to know how to do. I want to ask you, we talked about you know, what organizations can do, especially research, recruiting. We talked about some advice for Black women who are right. trying to move into more executive positions. Right. Speaking to you know a white man like me and most mm-hmm. of our audience, I, I would, I think, you know, I haven't surveyed my audience completely, <laughs> but just based on who I connect with, yeah. seems to be predominantly white. Yeah. Of course, we've got a diverse level of listeners. Mm-hmm. We've got great Black women like you mm-hmm. who listen to the show. What can we do? You know, you talked about the, the research and I think it starts with awareness right? Which we're yeah. opening up here. We talked about the recruiting side. What else can I, and especially those who work in larger organizations do to be better allies and help women yeah. move up into these positions? One word, sponsorship. Mm. Black women need sponsorship and sponsorship is different from allyship, which is different from mentorship. And so I think an ally empathizes and you're right. certainly an ally sponsorship to me is like platinum tier. And a sponsor usually is not very braggadocious to the Black woman about all the doors they've opened. I mean, it's a very humble, genuinely interested heart posture Mm -hmm. that says there's enough room for all of us. I want to see you in. So here's what sponsorship looks like practically. If you are in a position of power, I'm going to mention your name, Black woman, in rooms you're not currently in. I am going to take a skill set or a knowledge set I see in you, and I am going to promote that verbally to my colleagues. Mm 
I'm going to invite you to events you normally don't even know that's happening. That's usually for the who's who. I'm going to encourage you to apply for positions you don't even know that are being posted. I'm going to invite you to serve as a mentor to other people in the organization. I'm going to strategically help you to develop your career in a meaningful way that is championing you behind the scenes to get in positions of power. And what's interesting is one of the ladies I interviewed said one of her biggest sponsors was a white man, a black woman. And she said to me, though, I thought, cool. And then I got sad because she said, what does he have to lose? I'm no threat to him. So I thought, oh, oof, you know, but that's her reality. But it was surprising that of the people I've interviewed in my research, there were way more male sponsors, black and white, than female, hands down. Hmm. And way more white women sponsors than black women sponsors, hands down. And you you are supposing that that comes from that scarcity mindset, that competitive nature of like, oh, I don't know if I should let more people in. Or they might, or they might ruin it for me, or something. Yep, like that. I, that scarcity mindset, and to just the lack of. There is no black right. woman right. to sponsor them or to advocate for them. Yeah. So I think it's very telling yeah. on either side. But uh, sponsorship is huge. Take Ricky Como, who I mentioned. That's the biggest example of a sponsor. Someone in a position of power who could give me a yes. That gave me a higher salary. That gave me a chance to get talent development experience. That gave me the chance to get a paid leadership role. That's a sponsor. And he mm. never wanted me to kiss the ring or right. none of that. It was almost unspoken. And this guy, I mean, t- at company meetings, I kid you not, Andy, teary-eyed talking about my testimony and how I got mm. there. Just genuinely I love good, good dude. Yeah. He's and- a... F- forever sponsor. Can I speak about that just for a moment from a broader leadership perspective, because this is something that I'm very passionate about, mm-hmm. you know, even taking race and everything else out of it, like broader leadership. When you as a leader are able to put your ego aside and focus on just helping the people that are yes. coming up behind you, that yes. is how you build a legacy. Yes. Right. And if you listen to Michelle, she has mentioned Ricky three times in this I interview, did. and I know you are never going to forget him. Nope. Just like I wrote about in my book, Jessica Parisi, who was that leader who helped me find my way in my career. And I will never forget her. And most people have that manager or that leader they can think of who yeah. really helped them. So when you're in a leadership position, you're thinking, well, I don't know if I want to help them. They might leave me and go somewhere else, or they might you know, take my spot or whatever. Right. Remember that when you help other people, they remember you forever. It is yep. part of your legacy, yep. which lives longer than this one role that you're in right now. Amen. That's so good. Man, if I was in church, I would run around right now. It's so good. <laughs> Leaders, if y'all just heard that, it's so true. Yeah. And so yeah. now that I'm in the position of leadership where I run the L&D department enterprise wide at my current organization, I mean, I take from what Ricky gave to me. I'm a teacher leader. I'm training and teaching and leading at, you know, at the same time. And my coordinator, who is not the highest paid person on my team, my coordinator, you know what I, I told her? She happens to be a black woman, but I look her, I looked her in the eye and I said, you're a chief administrative officer in the making. I see it in you. You're mm. a chief of staff. You're a chief administrative. Yeah. You're going to get to the C-suite and it would be my greatest pleasure to help you do that. And her, I mean, she smiled so big. Oh. No one has yeah. ever told her that. Yeah. She was a gym hiding in plain sight, right. almost going to leave our company before I posted for a coordinator position. And I, was, I wasn't even thrilled to interview her. I wanted an external candidate, like most leaders think. Mm. I don't want to go internal. I've yeah. seen who's internal. <laughs> right. I took this interview almost as an obligation. 
I had 11 questions. I knew at question two, she, she got the, there. she had the job. She I mean, she was sharp and I thought, shame on you preaching yep. this stuff and wanted to go external. And every chance I get, I speak life into her and telling her, hey, what you do as a coordinator, it's not small potatoes. Mm-hmm. You can go get a certification in project management. I'll send her project management job screenshots. And because I, I always say to her, I'm invested in your career, even if it takes you away from our current organization, because I want her to know you being a coordinator, you're not the low person on a totem pole. Work this position for your gain personally. Mm. And that's why she can re- she can accept and receive any correction from me because she know that my heart intention is pure for her development. So I am given what Ricky gave back to me in the way that I lead my current team. Let me ask you one more question. Is it related to the, the sponsorship and allyship? Mm-hmm. Mentorship, I think is really important as well, like finding people to mentor. And I guess part of it is how do you get more active to go mentor people who don't look like you, which I, I think is really important as well as find mentors mm-hmm. that don't look like you. And selfishly for me, you know, I'm out there speaking a lot in a lot of organizations mm-hmm. on teaching people how to own their careers. Mm-hmm. I've been getting invitations to speak to women's groups. And I joke about this with my wife sometimes because I'm like, <laughs> shouldn't they have a woman speaking to the women's group? Right. And sometimes I feel like, and one client even once said, well, maybe we can go run your program for our black ERG or, you know, hypo black Mm -hmm. program or something. And I thought, well, this is fantastic. You know, Mm -hmm. I want to be an ally and help people, but at the same time, like I'm, I'm worried that it's going to look like, oh, here's another white guy telling black people how to run their careers. Right. So how do you see that perspective? How do I manage this? Because I want to help as much as I can, but I also don't want to be seen as like, oh, this guy's telling people, you know, easy for him to say, you know, he he had a much easier road than us. Right. Oh, that's good. And I think you're in a a healthy dilemma. It's, this is a good place you're in. Yeah. And I can speak to your sincere heart and allyship. I see it in a think tank. More than you know, more than I've said, I've seen it. And I so appreciate it. And let me encourage you by saying Black women, and that's just my group, but, you know, Black men, Asian women, they need to see white men invite them to the table. So I think if your message changed from white guy telling you what you need to do for your career versus white guy saying, I see you, I want to see more of you in spaces and places where I'm privileged to sit. So I want to give you the cheat code to how I did it. And then I want to give you a plethora of resources to get you there. And I'm going to make myself available to you should you have any questions or need anything. I think that's kicking it up to sponsorship. And you're a natural connector. And you do that for like people who are in your network. But I think from a stage, I think you got to figure out what's what's practical for you because you hate to give out your cell phone number through a crowd. <laughs> right. And you're like, ah, listen, ladies, I can't do it. Yeah. You know, but so figure out what, what does that look like? Mm. What does accessibility look like? You might say, yeah. please send me a LinkedIn request. I'm, I live on LinkedIn, which is what I tell people. And you, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. live there with me because right. as much that's as you right. see me, yep. I see you. That's right. So, you, you know, you tell them I live on LinkedIn. You might say that's the best way to get in touch with me. You're amazing at responding to messages, probably not sales messages because I, they're just mm. a bit much, Right. but that's how you say, I want to be a sponsor in any way that I can. So it's not um, the white man and I am the blueprint. Learn Mm, from me. It is, here's what's helped me. And I know often for people who look like you, no one's telling you how to get there. Mm. That's what I'm here today to, I'm going to change the narrative. Here is how I get there. Call it a cheat book, a cheat code. You know, uh, some, in some black cultures, we call it free game. Mm. Cost nut. I'm gonna give this to you for free. This is from a 
put you on game, free game. And I tell my employees that you should schedule a free game meeting with me. That means your performance will not be factored into this. This is off the record. I always say I'm taking my leadership hat off and this is just free game. I'm just a colleague talking to a colleague. So I think if you change it and and bear more of your heart initially saying, listen, Mm -hmm. it's not lost on me. And I'm a male speaker speaking to a predominant room of predominantly women. It's also not lost on me that I have gotten to certain places because of my gender and because of my race. I I want to repurpose that and give you some gems that might not be afforded to you that has helped me. And Mm. if you find something you really like, jot it down. If you want to connect further and say, wait, Andy, unpack this some more. Andy, I want to be a part of your think tank. I live on LinkedIn. I guarantee you I will try my best and no later than and give yourself a lot of grace a week's time. Mm-hmm. You're going to hear back from me, but please connect with me on there. I'm always dropping more nuggets there. And I think that makes it like I got a white guy who I can reach out to who's presented himself as a partner. Right. That goes a long way. Yeah, I like that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I hope it was beneficial to others. And what I'm hearing is obviously seek out those opportunities to yes. mentor, support, teach, ally, be an ally. Yep. You know, lead with humility to real and recognize that not everybody may have the same opportunities, but even yeah. be open about that, right? The elephant in the room yeah. and say, hey, you might have a different path than I do, but I want to try to support you. And here's how That's I can right. do that. Hopefully other people listening can can learn from that too, because you're a little selfish seeking some coaching from you at the end there. <laughs> Michelle, and this, and this no, interview good. in general went a lot longer than I intended it to, but it's just so much, <laughs> such a good conversation Yes, that you know I wanted it to keep going. Yes. So speaking of the LinkedIn and the reach out, I know there's going to be some people that want to reach out and connect with you. Sounds like LinkedIn is the best place to do that. It is. I live on LinkedIn. I'm Andy's neighbor on LinkedIn. (laughs) We're on the same street. I have a very unique spelling on my first and last name. So you will find me on LinkedIn. I'm super happy to connect and message you back. So please reach out. All right. Make sure you reach out to Michelle, M-E-C-H-E-L-L-E Robertson on LinkedIn and connect with her. And if you're not connected with me, make sure you connect with me and follow me on LinkedIn as well, sharing content on the regular. may have to come up with some great content on this to help those other aspiring allies out there. Michelle, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you. I know we're going to be doing a call on this in the Think Tank community soon, I think in October. So for those listening that haven't joined yet, if you want to come check that out, make sure you come join. Please do. It's so good, y'all. I'm telling you. Join the Think Tank. And he did not pay me to say this. It's that good. And I talk about it so much. So I hope to chat with you in October. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. All right. That will do it for my discussion with Michelle Robertson about getting to the room where it happens, the transformative, qualitative, collective case study of Black women holding and pursuing senior and executive leadership roles. That is a mouthful of a title. We'll probably shorten something up for what we call this podcast interview. But what did you think about that? Did you learn something new? Do you feel that she is on target with the research and the suggestions about recruiting and sponsorship and finding people in your organization? And I certainly had my eyes open. This is something that I feel like I pay attention to. And yet, obviously, as a white man, it's not something that I have been as focused on in my career and didn't notice as much as maybe Michelle has being in those rooms. And I'm always eager and happy to bring some of these conversations to light and raise more awareness, which is probably the best way that I can be an ally in this space, as well as looking for more doors to open, especially for people of color or people that may not have had the same background or privilege that I've had, which is something I intend to be doing more of 
in the future. And I'm going to keep looking for those opportunities. I mentioned to Michelle before we started recording, and she alluded to it in our interview. But when the social justice movement started in May of 2020, as a result of the death of George Floyd, I took a look at our interviews and the guests that I had had on this show for the past two years. I think there were probably well over 100 at that point or close to 100. And I think out of around 100 guests, I noticed that only two of them had been black at two or three. And I felt like that was that was not enough, you know, for someone who says that he is an ally has not really been done a great job of elevating black voices. And so I've made some changes since then. We've had a lot more black voices on this podcast, a lot more people of color, definitely plenty of women trying to keep a diverse point of view on this podcast, always keeping it in the realm of talent development. And if you have any thoughts or opinions on that, feel free to share with me to let me know how we're doing and how we can improve to help people of all walks of life in the learning and development, talent development world. By the way, Michelle mentioned at the end of our discussion that she is a member of the Talent Development Think Tank community. I like to think of our community as, uh, first of all, it is entirely focused on talent development and how do we help support each other in the world of talent development, sharing best practices and challenges and lessons learned so that we can learn and share and grow together. I like to think of our community as being not only diverse, but highly inclusive and equitable as well. I believe everybody has a voice and experience and wisdom to share, and I really want people in the community to be able to do that. And I've been trying to foster that type of culture in the community since we started it in June of 2020, and we are still going strong. And if you do not belong to a community like that, and you want to be in a virtual room where things are happening, where you can build your network and connect with more people, I would love for you to come check us out. Our website is tdtt.us, as in Talent Development Think Tank, tdtt.us. And when you join, you can use the code HOTSEAT, H-O-T-S-E-A-T, for 10% off. We have calls every Wednesday. We often have guest speakers, and we have Michelle leading a call in October on the topic that we discussed today so that we can have more of an open discussion about it. We also have a lot of open forum calls and we do networking once a month as well. It's really a great place to build your network and find allies to help you in your career in talent development. Podcast is also sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is a professional services firm dedicated to providing a continuous stream of creative learning and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. And Advantage has a couple different solutions that really address some of the things we discussed today. One of them is called Breaking Through Bias, Influencing Positive Change When Bias Appears. And the other one is called The Inclusive Leader, which was created by my friend Brent Snow, who has been on this podcast in the past. And it's really about raising more awareness and creating more inclusive cultures in your organization. You can find information about both of those and many more by going to advantageperformance.com. That's advantageperformance.com and click on solutions and go to leadership and you'll find information on those as well as many other programs. All right. Thank you again for listening. I really appreciate you being a listener and supporter and I look forward to talking with you next time and stay tuned. Our next episode will be our bonus Q&A round with Michelle. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again. Take care.